If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? There's quite a bit to be working on right now, Holy One. It seems that we have much to pray for and about how Will it all get taken care of? Do you have a list? Should we send an agenda? Of course, we know you expect our help, for that's how prayer works. So instead of praying for or about anything or anyone else, we're going to worry about ourselves, because maybe that will make the biggest difference in this world, this, the course corrections we make in our own lives, changes that no matter how tiny, will multiply like the five loaves and two fish that fed the 5,000. So when we are about to say something we'll regret, remind us that we have one mouth and two ears and they should be used proportionately. When we lose our breath from going too hard, too fast, for too long, gently nudge us to find the nearest chair and sit. And, and then use your inside voice so that we have to be quiet enough to listen, to be still and know. When we cannot see someone else's point of view, stretch our compassion until it better fits the needs of the world. We trust that you are working on us and in us. We promise we are working too, Holy One. So on the days when it doesn't seem like enough, we trust and we pray in the name of Jesus, who said that we only need faith as small as a mustard seed. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, 
see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, uh, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The gospel lesson today is another, another one of those times where what Jesus does in the story is impossible for us to replicate. It falls under the same category as walking on water, opening the eyes of the blind, and restoring hearing to the deaf. There are just some things that Jesus did that we cannot do. Imagine, for instance, being at a funeral service and attempting to answer the question, what would Jesus do in this context? Who among us is willing to try to raise the dead? I mean, I can barely get y'all to sit in the front row. But of course, few, maybe none of us have ever witnessed anyone earnestly trying to raise someone from the dead, even though that's what they so desperately want. But we know the dead are dead. We simply cannot do what Jesus did in this situation. Even pastors, who some might think have special training or at least a better chance in this regard, we do not know these trade secrets. This, like church finances or pastoring in a pandemic, is not covered in seminary. As we consider this story in the context of All Saints Day, we might admit that we usually feel the same way about those who are called saints. We simply cannot do what they do. It is common to understand saints as a special class of believers. This is true even for those in traditions like ours that do not award sainthood posthumously after a formal ecclesiastical process. Saints, it seems, have a, an extra something which the rest of us are missing. We simply cannot live up to their standard. They are saints and we are not. This story certainly qualifies Jesus as a saint, even if we were to read the story without layering on developed doctrine or traditional teachings or creeds regarding divinity or anything else we have been taught about Jesus. Surely raising someone from the dead instantly confers sainthood. But it might be for other reasons. In the New Testament, we find a different understanding of saints. They are living, breathing, active believers, and sometimes 
named as whole faith communities, such as in Acts chapter 9 or 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 4. They are ordinary people doing the work of building the kingdom of God on earth. Saint comes from the Latin word sanctus or holy. The basic definition of holy is dedicated to God. Saints, then, are people dedicated to God. Leaning into the New Testament's description of saints, we might reread the passage and reconsider what makes Jesus a saint here. It might be because he showed empathy. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Jesus began to weep. In a world where we are taught to keep a stiff upper lip, to never let them see you cry, mourning with one another is a radical act. It is, of course, also one of the ways we understand the fulfillment of the promise that those who mourn shall be comforted. It is the work of God. When we look at this passage with an eye towards seeing the ordinary as extraordinary, we understand the powerful acts of Jesus expand far beyond raising Lazarus from the dead. That's maybe not even extraordinary in this context. For when Mary expresses disappointment and anger at Jesus for not being where she needed him to be, he does not leave in a huff. He understands that she is grieving. Jesus does not pack up and move out upon hearing that Lazarus is dead. Instead, he moves towards death, closer to people who have big and messy feelings, nearer to that which was considered unclean and untouchable. These actions are certainly profound, but none of them require divinity or special ecclesiastical dispensation. To move towards the storm clouds and to walk each other in the valley of the shadow of death, this is the work of God. So suddenly, in situations that might have before seemed like there was nothing to be done, the act of showing up takes on a quality of remarkable it may scare us to know that we really can seriously ask, what would Jesus do and be able to realistically model his actions since they do not require superpowers, which is, of course, true of the life and work of other saints in our lives. Ideally, this is empowering information. There is so much more we can do to respond faithfully in any given circumstance when we stop thinking that we need a superhero cape. This understanding is also sobering, for it is up to us to make decisions every day, big and small, that build the life of a saint. Decisions to apologize when we miss the mark. Decisions to feed the stray cats. Decisions to serve the common good. Decisions to listen, to understand, not just to respond. Decisions to make someone feel heard. Decisions to take a walk, to listen to the birds, to mail a handwritten note, to sit with someone in grief, to share a smile. 
decisions to speak only when it improves the silence, to be precise, to double check the math, to take notes, to be silly, to be conscientious. So it is that on this All Saints Day, we lift up the lives of Mayflower members who have died this year, remembering them not as perfect people, but as saints, those who have done the work of God by living faithfully. We light the first candle in the name of Ron Johnston. If there's one thing that Ron loved as much as music, it was food, especially a meal at a favorite restaurant. I have heard it said that the way you measure someone's character is to pay attention to how they treat people who are serving them. If you are waitstaff, you wanted Ron as your customer. He would learn your name, ask you how you were doing with sincerity, and he was a very good tipper. Once, when both Ron and his beloved wife, Jermaine, were still working downtown for Kermagee, Jermaine had the day off and brought the kids up to have lunch with Ron. They went, enjoyed their meal, and as they were leaving, Ron casually said to Jermaine, hey, thanks for lunch. And she said, I didn't pay for lunch. And he said, well, I didn't pay for lunch either. After just a moment, Ron got back out of the car and walked all the way back to the restaurant to pay. And when he got back and they drove away, one of their girls said, why did you go back? They never would have known. And Ron replied, yes, but I would have known. And of course, there was more dad-splaining after that. But his girls remember to this day that valuable lesson about character. You don't do the right thing so someone else will know you do it, so you will know. We are grateful for the reminder, Ron. Charles Gorham. Charles never met a stranger and always had a joke up his sleeve. Charles and his beloved wife, Carol, participated frequently in Mayflower Fellowship dinners. Charles and Carol built a life around sharing meals with family and friends. He tried to be sympathetic when Carol needed to watch her sugar intake to manage her diabetes, saying, I really hate to eat these treats in front of you, he said. It would have been easy for Carol to think that Charles actually cut back on his candy intake for solidarity because it's not like she was finding empty candy wrappers lying around. But one of the dogs ruined Charles' plan when they sniffed out a pile of empty wrappers under his recliner. Apparently, it was quite a stash, but as Carol would say, if you're going to hide something from your spouse, it should only be empty candy wrappers. We miss you, Charles. Carol Helen Montgomery Hansen. In 1971, at the age of 42, despite plenty of advice that was she was too old and too female, Carol Hansen enrolled in the Oklahoma City University School of Law, where she earned a Juris Doctorate, learned to drink and cuss, and then, over the next 38 years, built a legal career with distinction, serving as judicial counsel to John B. Doolin of the Oklahoma Supreme Court, 
opening a five-county area office for legal aid of Western Oklahoma, served as municipal judge of the city of Stillwater, was the marshal of the Oklahoma Supreme Court, and then was appointed to the Court of Appeals, and then re-elected time and time again. She mentored an untold number of women on how to stand our ground with humor, navigate around tired gender stereotypes, and, depending on the situation, either gently or not so gently, correcting those who needed it. I will never forget the time I made a pastoral care visit to Carol when she was in the emergency room after a fall. Apparently, one of the paramedics had made the mistake of calling her honey while putting her on the stretcher, but true to form, Carol had enough wits about her to tell him that she was welcome to call her your honor. While Carol may have been the first woman to serve as chief judge of any appellate court in Oklahoma and received more awards for excellence than there's room to fit on a page, she always said that her greatest accomplishment was raising her five Democrats. Those precious daughters. Oh, we miss you as much as ever, Your Honor. Audrey Drag. Though she be small, she is mighty. Shakespeare didn't know it, but this line was meant for Audrey Drag. Audrey was not big in stature, but her touch, her influence, her loyalty, her love, and her ever-present smile was larger than life and very mighty. Audrey's life was always one of motion, engagement, and intention. While her boys were growing up, she worked as a secretary and administrative assistant at several jobs, including public schools. Edgemere and Harding as secretary to the history department and to the counseling department as a, and as attendance registrar. Finally, she decided if she was going to do all the work, she should get paid for it. So she went back to school in her 40s to attain her degree, but she did not just stop at one. She got her bachelor's in education and a master's degree in guidance and counseling. Audrey retired from public school education in 1983, but she was still full of energy and drive to be part of important work. So she took that smile and that determination into the volunteer world, where she joined the Deaconess Hospital Auxiliary, those dear folks in blue coats who always deliver flowers, answer questions, or point you to the nearest cup of coffee. She worked her way through the volunteer ranks until she served as president of the auxiliary, a very proud time of service for her. And Mayflower was lucky enough to find Audrey she brought her talents to this church community and spread them far and wide, including the chancel choir, the guild, and Martha's Circle, and always with that big grin. Indeed, we miss you, Audrey. Yale Skurlock. Yale was a member of this congregation for over 30 years. His membership certificate lovingly displayed on the china cabinet next to the dining room table. In worship, Yale held down the pulpit side of the sanctuary, more towards the back than the front, but he was present in so many other rooms than the sanctuary. The seeker's room for Sunday school and webs on Wednesdays, the kitchen to pick up what needed to be delivered for Meals on Wheels, the office to recount and sign off on the weekly offering, the parlor as a member of the care team, offering support for those of us who face all kinds of troubles. Yale's fingerprints, are even on the recycle bins, the contents of which he'd put in his back seat and delivered to the recycling center. If he was out and about for any reason at all, he would swing by the church 
just to see if he could be of assistance. When we baptize children in this church, it is because their parents wish the mark of the church to be upon the child's life. But Yale turned that phrase around and left the mark of his life upon this church, and it is permanent. Yale never used an epithet harder than knucklehead, and none of us can think of anything worse than acting in a way that would risk that label from him. Yale tricked us into thinking that he would live forever, but since he didn't, we hold fast to the creed he really did live by. Life is grand, beauty is everywhere, all personal relationships have value, and life's sweetest creation is laughter. We're doing our best to carry on, Yale. We love you. Jerry Johnson. Jerry was born to become a teacher and dearly loved his students. He left the classroom in 1986 only for the opportunity to work for the Oklahoma Education Association, where he would advocate for the improvement of public education for all Oklahoma students and educators. Jerry was a true union brother to his colleagues, serving as a mentor and sharing skills, sound advice, and providing a sturdy shoulder to lean on in difficult times. He adored his wife of 40 years, Judy, who he was never far away from for very long. We miss you, Jerry. Friends of Mayflower. The last candle represents the Friends of Mayflower Church, those who are part of the fabric of this congregation and who have been our friends and allies in all kinds of ways. Bless you, Friends of Mayflower, for your heart and service and love. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.